fresh out of the impact zone, JP Nichols. JP, how are you doing, man? Doing pretty good tonight. Well, this morning, I should say, I suppose. Uh, rather enjoyed the show tonight. I mean, it's very strange to say, uh, going into 2012, can't really say that I would have expected to say. I feel that TNA has had four good pay-per-views in a row, and... I mean, this this fun really wasn't too far from quality from last month, I would say. And I'm not sure what planet we're on, but uh, we're reviewing a TNA pay-per-view before an ROHI pay-per-view that occurred in the same weekend. And not only that, and I saw the show, um, but this pay-per-view, TNA Hardcore Justice, which we will be reviewing, was better. Um, it was certainly better than Boiling Point. Now, you didn't see Boiling Point, but I think you would agree as you kind of started that TNA is now certainly on a consistent streak here. They've had uh, really four uh, solid to above solid shows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean TNA right now, I mean, there are some things that I understand that people can absolutely uh, criticize, such as, you know, obviously the Claire Lynch angle. I know some a lot of people aren't necessarily fans of the Aces and Eights angle, but at minimum right now on pay-per-view, they've been shown, uh, they've shown four months in a row now that they can absolutely put on solid, fun shows. I'd say probably even uh, as of late, much more enjoyable shows than what WWE has been doing as of late even and I mean I'm just very happy for that because you know I want to enjoy good wrestling and that's what they're giving me and one of my big pet peeves with pay-per-views is that you just do clean finishes when people pay for the shows and you give them some sort of payoff I don't know just I feel vindicated when I see that and for the last four months barring like how many matches have we got like a legitimate screw job finish on TNA pay-per-views now I think I could count them on one hand for the last four months uh, as opposed to ROH last night where I could count I have to use like two hands <laughs> yeah. It's very strange to say because usually, I mean, uh, the the phrase used to be uh, TNA ending, and now, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I did not see the show, you did, but just going based off of looking at results on paper, I mean, can it be called an ROH ending now? Uh, I think that would be, I think that'd be pretty fair. Um, <laughs> but we'll try not to focus on ROH too much. Uh, and the first, uh, the show opened with Chavo Guerrero and Hernandez teaming up for the first time against uh, Gunner and Kid Cash. A uh, pretty basic match, I thought. Uh, Chavo was worked over for, like, five minutes. Uh, the Impact Zone really doesn't seem to like Gunner, but I don't think anybody likes Gunner. <laughs> no, uh, it, it really is sort of weird because it's like Gunner doesn't really play to the crowd too much, whereas right. Kid Cash always makes it a focus to, like, get the crowd uh, really into despising him. I also have to note, I mean, he had facial hair, so not exactly sure if the Kid ca the kid title in his name really is still apropos anymore. Yeah, fair enough. But. Hernandez gets the hot tag. He tries, as usual, to commit murder on Gunner and Cash. Uh, then they do, like, a dive, and I think that set up the Frog's best for Chavo, and a uh, very basic match, but I thought it was a fine opener. Yeah, absolutely no problem with it. I feel like it was probably the best choice of opener, just simply for the fact that the crowd is so into Chavo. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not necessarily uh, I don't I don't dislike Chavo, but I've never necessarily been a fan of him. But I feel like he and Hernandez can actually work pretty well together as a unit, especially because the tag team division in TNA is actually one of the big flaws going with them right now. There's just absolutely pretty empty right now beyond Daniels and Kazarian not themselves being the champions. So, minimum, you know, when the time comes, I mean, I have no doubt that we'll probably get uh, Chavo and Hernandez versus the two of them eventually, and, and it'll probably be a pretty good match. And as you said in your preview on the side, at least they remembered that, like, tag team wrestling exists. So, we got a tag team match on this show. Um, and I'm very favorable to Chavo and Hernandez as a team as well, and I thought this was fine. 
then we had what was supposed to be a four-way Falls Count Anywhere match for Bound for Glory Series points. 20 points on the line. It was originally supposed to be RVD, Magnus, Mr. Anderson, and Pope, but Pope got taken out uh, before the match by the Aces and Eights, who will come up again, I'm sure, at some point in this when we talk about, you know, well, just the show in general, but then moving forward. Uh, this was a Falls Count Anywhere match. Uh, on paper, I said that if you replaced, I think I said in your preview uh, when I did my picks, that if they replaced the Pope with Robbie, or no, if you place, replace Magnus with Robbie e in this match, you may have one of the most unappealing matches of 2012. But it being a Falls Count Anywhere match, they wouldn't actually have to wrestle in the ring. Uh, but uh, they did, as I, as I expected, of course, but uh, I kind of built it up in my mind that maybe they wouldn't have to, or at least that I could suspend disbelief for like five hours before the show. But uh, for a Falls Count Anywhere match, uh, RVD and Mr. Anderson were evolved, but I guess we got we kind of got rid of some of the crap uh, before the match. But uh, I thought it was okay, it was fine, and we got a, another finish. You know, we talk about finishes, and this was a fine finish. Uh, well, first of all, I have to say, Aces and Aids probably took out the wrong person, I would say. I mean, if they had to take out anyone, I would have preferred Mr. Anderson. But, I mean, not necessarily high on Pope either, but, you know, in comparison, I would take him over Mr. Anderson. But uh, this match was fine. I I really do honestly question the fact of why they just had Van Dam go over Magnus, because they just had him go over Magnus on TV. And it's not even just because I'm not necessarily a fan of Van Dam, and I'm actually a huge fan of Magnus anyway, but it just seems a bit counterproductive in the grand scheme of things. And really, the match just sort of ended a bit abruptly, I thought. Yeah. I mean, because it, it went about nine minutes, but it just seemed like right when it was starting to get a bit hot, I mean, they just sort of stopped. I mean, but no complaints, I mean, about, you know, again, like you said, clean finish. And I would say that the gimmick absolutely uh, helped the match get to the point that it did. Plus, it's a hardcore match, so I'm not even really sure what a clean finish technically means because, uh, you know, you could do whatever, and it's still legal. But, um... Magnus had two highlights in this match that I wanted to uh, that I want to that I want to bring up at least. Uh, he did a, a four leaf clover clover leaf on the uh, ramp, which always gets a pop out of me. Any submission on the ramp or the entrance way, and then there was also a moment in this match where he tried to take a chair from a fan, but the fan was going to have none of it. <laughs> yeah, the fan the fan absolutely had none of it. In fact, when he ran away, he ran away with chair in hand. <laughs> like he just. Did not want to give this chair to Magnus. And this actually paused the match for like 30 seconds. Uh, and then Magnus got a chair and the match continued. Uh, and then we went to the finish. The finish was a Van Daminator. Uh, I guess it was on... Who took the fall? Magnus? Uh, Ma the Magnus fall. himself okay, took Magnus it. Take the fall. Okay. He, he, he grabbed the chair and the chair was a downfall. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Magnus... Uh, we had a Madison Rain interview next uh, talking about the women's title match, which was later in the show. Uh, Devon and Kazarian... A uh, special added match for the television title. Uh, they got eight to ten minutes, and I think this actually surprised both of us. It was actually a fairly fine, pretty good match, very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Kazarian especially was, like, bumping huge for Devon. It was like, I mean, like, I remember there was, like, one particular spot where I believe Devon just whipped him into the buckle, and Kazarian flew over the top rope uh, to sell it. And, I mean, I mean, Devon, like, he usually works pretty well with uh, a lot of these guys. I mean, like, he, you know, it's not necessarily like he's very interesting in his offense, but everything that he hits, he hits pretty well, and Kazarian is completely competent, and I feel, I mean, right now he's at the best state of his career, character-wise, and uh, considering that they haven't lived up to uh, their promise of giving Devon a TV title match every week on Impact, uh, gotta get uh, some TV title match. I have to assume that uh, this means that Devon is probably sticking around as well, considering that I know he and Bully Ray apparently have been having contract disputes with TNA. 
Uh, I think there's better examples of this, but I feel like that Kazarian has found his Chris Hero to Claudio Castagnoli in that, like, I always felt like Claudio Castagnoli on his own was, like, you know, he was always good, I mean, very good, but, like, whenever he would go with Chris Hero, he would be, like, super fresh, and he would be awesome as ever whenever that would happen. And Kazarian's always been a guy, like, I don't know, he's been there, and he's always been, like, a pretty decent or a good worker, but now that he's been paired with Daniels, he's just, like, out of this world. And it's translated to not only character, but his matches as well. Yeah, I'd say that's absolutely a fair comparison. I mean, especially considering, I mean, he's just been lingering around in TNA for, like, a long time. I mean, he really had that one main event push back in 2007, but uh, unfortunately they decided to give up on that and push him towards Black Rain and Rat on a Pole match, etc. So <laughs> it's good to see that they have uh, moved on from that, and he's actually uh, taken what they've given him and has succeeded with it with flying colors. Next up, we had a Bully Ray interview. Uh, I think he talked about mostly the Aces and Eights, but also the Tables match, which was forthcoming, uh, which was next. We had Bully Ray, James Storm, Jeff Hardy, and Robbie E. Uh, one segment of the match, the Aces and Eights essentially oh, eliminate Bully oh, Ray. Go ahead. We, act, we missed the women's match. Did we? I yep. Looked right over the women's match. I know that didn't make sense to have the Bully Ray interview first. I was actually, I don't know, where was it? Bully Ray was before the women's match, right? Uh, a bully Ray came after, and then they okay. went into the tables yeah, so match. I was just out of order, okay. Yeah, Madison so Ray missed Tessmacher. Well, I don't think you can blame me for forgetting it. Oh well, yeah, uh, well. For the knockout <laughs> championship. I, I was actually was disappointed by this match because I actually was hoping it would actually live up to my That's expectations of it being horrible. Yeah, exactly. It was actually pretty competent. Any match that Brooke Tessmacher manages to hit her sensationally perfect elbow drop in, uh, it's sort of hard to complain about. And. Uh, Go ahead. Certainly a better elbow drop than Sam Punk's. Certainly. Uh, and this, the story of this match was uh, Earl Hebner, uh, their relationship. Uh, and that played into the finish when Miss Tessmacher did a near fall. Madison Rain got her foot on the rope, I believe. Earl Hebner saw that, and then they did a roll-up spot where Madison Rain was holding onto the ropes. And he did not see that, so we have a new women's champion in Madison Rain. Unfortunately, not as bad as we would have hoped which, again, I think is why I skipped over it, because it should have been horrible, but it was just kind of a match. And uh, it got, like, six minutes, which is probably too long, but, uh, yeah, it was fine. And uh, God, th this match should prove... I mean, uh, when people want to talk about, like, incompetent people in, in charge on screen, like, yes. you know, Teddy Long, uh, tag team match player, as an, ex as an example, <laughs> uh, we got Brooke Hogan here, who I understand on screen would likely be occupied with the fact that the Aces and Eights beat the, beat the crap out of her father, but she's supposed to be in charge of this division, and there's clearly deception going on here with the fact that you got a referee in there who is clearly biased towards Madison Rain, yeah. and nothing has been done about this. There was absolutely no way that they could have said, oh, uh, Brian Hebner, go out there. You aren't biased, but... I can't tell if this is, like, a completely illogical thing or if it's just, like, one of those things where I'm supposed to give them the benefit of the doubt because it's wrestling. And for me to say that with TNA, I mean, I would never do that for TNA, but I don't know. It's just, like, I'm kind of okay with it, Just, but it's really stupid, to say yeah. the least. And now with the fact that Madison has actually won the title, I th think she's actually held the title longer than anyone in terms of consecutive amount of days, and I think she may actually have more reigns than anyone yeah, in the history of the knockouts division, yeah. which is sort of shocking. I actually remember an interesting statistic on uh, when she won the title the first time. I think it was actually uh, Danny uh, Rodriguez that had sent me this, was saying that uh, she was a singles knockouts champion, but had never won a singles match in TNA up to that point. <laughs> 
<laughs> when did they introduce the title? Two thousand seven. At the at the show you attended, Battle for Glory, two thousand seven. Wait, they introduced the title on this show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the in the, in the knockouts, Battle Royal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was uh, Gail Kim as the first champion, so this title's been around for almost five years now. And with that said, the four-way tables match was next. We had Bully Raid that I started to talk about, James Storm, Jeff Hardy, and Robbie E. Uh, they did a spot early in the match. I kind of missed it. They did, like, a suplex, and, like, Bully Ray fell on the corner of the table. Uh, was that botched? I don't know what that, happened. That was, on, that was definitely all on Robbie E. Okay. Like, because uh, uh, it was uh, <laughs> Jeff Hardy and James Storm uh, went to suplex Bully Ray through the table, and Robbie E was just not up in... I mean, he was up in position to move the table immediately, but he decided to stall for them to actually get Ray off the ground, right. then decide to move it, but he didn't move it out of the way, so they took out uh, the corner of the table. And uh, from there, I mean, it seemed to be a bit of confusion. I mean, obviously, I don't. I was live in the show. I didn't get to hear the commentary attempt to uh, explain the fact, but I would, I would assume that they had to go with something along the lines of, oh, Storm and Hardy did the move, so... Uh, they can't split the points. Right, and did they announce that it was, uh, uh, like, one table spot? Because I know you were really hoping this was elimination, I think. Yeah, uh, they didn't announce it, uh, okay. at least live but, with the crowd. So I was you didn't know? Of... It could have just been elimination and you wouldn't have known, I guess. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they didn't they didn't really elaborate on that at all. I mean, but and with the way that the match finished, I think it ended up being for the best anyway. That it was one fall. Yeah, and then the aces and eights. There was a segment where they come out. They kind of eliminate Bully Ray from the match. They, uh, I think he was running, and then he ended up coming back, which played into the finish. Uh, which James Storm was going for his eye of the storm through a table, I suppose, and then. Uh, the Aces and Eights kind of resurfaced, then Bully Ray came in, threw out James Storm, and hit a power bomb, and then ran out. So I'm not sure what they were doing over that, like, two- or three-minute segment. Could you see, were they, like, brawling out there? Was something going on, or they just kind of... Uh, um, the Aces, they they came out and for their initial run. They hung out by the guardrail, and then they went to the back, bypassing Universal Security, who, yes. by the way, uh, <laughs> completely did not do their job. That was promised by Jeremy Borash on screen, of having any security attempt to detain the Aces and AIDS as they run out throughout the impact zone, but uh, that's universal security for you. I mean, they, they don't even check your bags, really, when you walk into Universal Studios as is, so should give you an idea of exactly how incompetent they are. The match itself it, was fine, though. Yeah, I thought the match was actually very fun, and in fact, I mean, like, Robbie especially actually fit in very well, which was pretty much the one wild card of the match, and he took a pretty vicious... Uh, bump to the outside when he went to put Hardy through yes. a table. Yes. Um, also, I'm, I'm not sure if it uh, was clear on screen or not, but actually after the match, Ray seemed to have hurt his elbow because he was really oh, yeah, holding he was his elbow. It, yes. so, I mean, like, it looked like he may have... Uh, I mean, I think when he went over the top rope uh, from Aces and Aids stuff, like, I wasn't sure if he maybe dislocated it or something. I mean, it didn't look too good. Yeah, I mean, he was certainly selling after that original table spot, but so I assumed maybe that had legitimately hurt him because that was not, you know, a nice spot, and then he didn't really sell it over the course of the match, and then it was like at the end after at the end of the match. Yeah, I mean they had a close up right on him, and he was certainly selling it. Uh, I think he even said like maybe I broke it or whatever he was saying to the referee, something along those lines. But uh, and it was actually surprising to me that he even won the match just for the fact that you know the, obviously this match is plays into his uh, well strength so to speak. You know since obviously associated with table matches and whatnot. And I thought that Storm would have been a shoe in the win, but. 
you know, I guess they don't really want to put Storm too far ahead in, eight, in the leaderboard. Aces and eights, how do you feel about them? Um, well, uh, with the the way the way that they portray them, I think it's like somewhat interesting. But at the same time, I mean, with TNA and heel stables, it's just it, it, it's almost like they're a crutch to me because really you can go back. I think every single year in their history, and if there's not one heel stable on top, I'd be shocked. Yeah. Like they they just always have had them. I would say though, based on the names that have been mentioned right. to potentially be in the group, with the exception of one particular one, I feel that every other one of them can bring something to the table. Right, so right. we're gonna have the benefit of a lot of hopefully the injection of a lot of new talent, which I think is desperately needed. Yeah, absolutely, completely. I mean, considering that you figure, I mean, beyond uh, the addition of Aries and like even Kenny King to an extent, they've really had the same roster of guys for a very long time now. Yeah, which, and so, which is a testament, or at least uh, portrayed in the Bound for Glory series. I mean, I think all these matches, for the exception of like one or two, maybe three, were in last year's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they have nobody else. Yeah, well, at minimum, uh, some of the uh, weaker ones that were in last year's at least didn't translate to this year's. So, yeah. I mean, I, such as Crimson, as an example. <laughs> What's Crimson up to, anyways? Uh, I think I read that he was actually injured somewhere. I mean, I could be wrong. But, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, either injured from an actual injury or injured from a heartbreak of his uh, winning streak coming to an end two months ago. I was going to say, I don't think we're that lucky. But... <laughs> Uh, we had an Austin Aries interview at some point. I believe it was after this match. Uh, him and Jeremy yes. Borash. And Jeremy Borash, like, is so awesome. Like, I know everybody always puts over, like, his facials during an interview, but this one in particular, just his reaction to some of the things Aries was saying. And I, like, had to rewind it and watch it, like, three times. Um, but then after this match, we had uh, the X Division Championship match. Uh, something I also want to note, because you talk about the opener, is that uh, they put, like, the three matches I was looking forward to the most, last, and... Having the X Division match third from the top, which I don't think happens often, especially now, and I mean the division is incredibly depleted as we kind of touched on just just a moment ago. But having this third from the top actually, I don't know, emphasized a little bit of importance. I don't know, it felt a little more important than it usually does for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, really, I mean the X Division title has just been sort of relegated to opening status around that range for a while. I think beyond uh, Aries and Shelley at the February pay per view, which I think was like third or fourth from the top as well. I mean, it's just been sort of like a mid-card opening act for a very long time, but actually putting this, like, I mean, uh, third from the top was a very good spot for it, and actually, I mean, I was sort of afraid from the fact that I thought that the crowd would sort of be a little burnt out on this one, uh, um, just simply because of a few of the gimmick matches earlier in the show, but thankfully that was not the case. Also, it's to be noted that, um, at least, actually, I mean, because uh, in the Impact Zone, they sometimes don't play video packages for the live crowd, you know, so they can attempt to, like, spice them up a bit. But uh, they actually had the opportunity to see this video package for Kenny King, and I thought that they made him look like a star, yeah. honestly. And not only did they portray him like a star in the video, I thought they really gave him a lot in the match. And um, Zima Ion defends the Exhibition Championship against Kenny King in this particular match. They got about 11 minutes. Uh, and like I said, it really featured Kenny King. I mean, he pretty much dominated, like, the middle portion of the match. I think, uh, you know, he got in most of his stuff. Uh, and then over the course of that, there was maybe, like, one Zima Ion near fall. Um, and then uh, there was a couple spots, too, that I thought, you know, I don't know if it's because, and we talked about this a little bit before we came on, but Kenny King, maybe because he's focused on or featured a little bit more now that he's kind of in TNA and broke away from, like, the indie mold or the ROH mold a little bit. 
so because he breaks away from the indie mold, I think it brings a, a little bit more light to him. And uh, one of the comments that at least within our like little group is how he, Kenny King's kind of been an underperformer, but that he really does a lot. He takes like a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of spots in his matches where it feels like somebody like could get killed or it just looks really rough. And I thought there was two in particular in this match, not to take away from it because I thought he looked good. Um, but there was a spot where I think Zima went for a 450, and there was a really ugly get-the-knees-up type of spot. And then the one that stood out the most, and one of the, actually one of the more notable spots of the show, I thought, in terms of, like, OMG, I think he's dead, was the leg capture overhead suplex into the corner. And I know we oh. talked about this before, but that was... Uh, that was particularly devastating. Yes. I mean, that that uh, I mean, whenever someone does a move like that into the corner, they typically seem to always try to throw them towards the middle lower buckle so they can at least land on their upper back on the on the mat and whatnot. But Kenny King had absolutely no remorse <laughs> towards his Zima Ion with this one. He threw him at the top and middle buckle, and then he just uh, plummeted to the floor from there. It was very devastating. He had a lot of really awesome stuff in this match. Like, I feel like he hasn't had a uh, performance like this to really show off the type of things that he can do since probably uh, Death Before Dishonor ladder match last year. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then, I mean, before that, what? <laughs> I mean, before then, who even knows? I mean, uh, this is like probably the... I mean, granted, I can't exactly remember too many notable singles from him and Ring of Honor over recent times, but, I mean, this is probably the best singles match from him I've seen in a long time. And I'd Wait, actually go... Did you just question... Why a person in a tag team is not getting singles matches in Ring of Honor? I, I, I know it's a very <laughs> bad thing to attempt to bring up. I mean, especially because it's something that could go rather unanswered in some cases. But, I mean, I'd go as far as still, I'd go as far as to say that this is the best singles match I've seen from him in a while. And I'd actually go as far as to say that this is a best performance. I mean, well, be, not necessarily the best performance, but best match that uh, Zima Ion has had in TNA up to this point. And in terms of Kenny King, probably the Davey Richards match from Charlotte, which was April 2010. Yeah. Then they did the rematch in Toronto, which was very underwhelming. Yeah, it was not nearly as good as that. But Uh, but of course that was with Davey Richards, so, you know, hey, you get focused on when you wrestle Davey Richards. Otherwise, you don't don't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Or Charlie Haas. Uh, the finish of this match is a gory bomb, uh, which I thought kind of caught me. I mean, he's used that as a finisher, and what was the other move that he usually does? I think he used that for the other near fall. Uh, he from uh, they never they haven't given it a name for it on TNA, but uh, on the Indies it was from Lost to Dust. It's a back dr- uh, over overhead back body drop into the knee on the uh, on while he's kneeing down onto his knee, which uh, that always looks devastating to me, right. honestly. Right, and that was and, the first near fall. Yeah, and then pretty much it was sort of weird because, I mean, it, this match was, like, pretty much all Kenny King. I mean, just hitting moves left and right, busting out a single-leg crab where it looked like he actually may have uh, made, been able to make Zima Eye on tap. Um, a springboard blockbuster, even. I mean, he was busting out just about everything that you could ask for. Yep, absolutely. And I thought, uh, you know, again, a good match. And, I mean, I agree kind of with Zima Eye on as well. I mean... Uh, other than maybe his involvement in the four-way from uh, Ult- uh, Destination X last year. This is probably maybe the best performance that I've seen from him. Uh, next up, we have the ladder match. Samoa Joe, Chris Daniels, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles for 20 Bound for Glory series points. Um, this match was really wild. I've seen, okay, there were two spots they did in this match where, okay, they're like my favorite spots that I've seen in a long time. Okay, the ST Joe on the ladder that was propelled on the bottom rope from Joe to Daniels, 
was like I think like I didn't see anybody else talking about this. Mind you, I kind of avoided spoilers because I didn't watch the show until much later, which is why we're kind of doing this uh, at the time we are. Although you're gonna listen to this later, so people aren't really gonna know. But uh, I didn't really see. I, I guess a lot of people were hopefully going crazy about this particular spot and just. Uh, Daniels in general in this match took a ton of punishment, but then uh, also the other spot, uh, which you can talk about, the Muscle Buster German, which wasn't hit cleanly, but uh, in theory it was an incredible idea, but still popped me. Oh, I mean, well, uh, pretty much just going into this match, I mean, like, I really can't really recall, like, just how completely random match, well, probably since the six-man tag for PWG at Russell Reunion 3, honestly, in terms of, like, random matches at are thrown together that I had this much anticipation for, especially when you consider the fact that I'd go as far as to say that, like, Christopher Daniels right now is at the absolute best state of his career, which is amazing to say, considering how long he's been wrestling. And AJ and Angle have been on some, uh, both been on really hot runs for, like, the past few months. And Samoa Joe seemed to, like, been able to find his groove again, not necessarily to the point of, like, bringing back the 2005-2006 Joe that everyone was absolutely in love with, but he's certainly been able to uh, show absolutely more motivation than I think he we've had out of him in the last three years, and they really just put in a lot of unique stuff in this match. I mean, that, that's what I've come to expect. I mean, just whenever AJ, Joe, or Daniels are in the ring with each other, because they're always able to adapt and able to uh, put together new stuff that haven't been seen in other... Uh, other versions of their matches or even uh, are able to take stuff from those previous matches and change it up like slightly to make it even more impressive and like that ST Joe <laughs> ST Joe on the ladder I, I can at least speak for uh, my friends and I that I was sitting with we all just went absolutely insane when that spot was hit like that was one of the most impressive spots that I think I've seen in a long time and that was three minutes into the match so we knew it was on then yeah exactly and then God, I I feel like Kurt Angle had to have like been a major role in terms of like structuring that German uh, muscle buster spot because I actually remember even from the Bound for Glory 2010 main event, like there was even one unique spot that I would have gone absolutely cuckoo over if it actually hit. Like it was when Jeff Hardy was going for a swanton onto Anderson and Angle was in the corner that he was doing the swanton out of, and Angle charged up to catch Hardy mid mid swanton and do a Jim Neidhart esque power slam on him, but it unfortunately didn't come to happen, and unfortunately, even with this one, I mean, it didn't quite look crisp, you know, that people would probably expect, but I mean, just for the effort and creativeness right. of this, I went absolutely wild. Absolutely, and you know, you make comparison to maybe other recent matches in terms of anticipation. I think the, you know, you mentioned PWG and the six-man tag from January, but the they just did a ladder match as well uh, in July with uh, future, uh, well, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, the Young Bucks, and Super Smash Bros., and I think maybe my, like, I really don't these matches are so on paper, just a ladder match with these four guys. It's like so tough to comprehend or, you know, those six guys in a, in a three-way tag match. But I guess my anticipation was probably higher for this one just because I knew that I was going to get to see it live or like soon after. Um, mm -hmm. Just like, it's just so impossible to comprehend the idea of this match on paper. And really, I thought uh, really it delivered. Um, the finish was, and we'll get talk about some more about the match, but the finish was, uh, they had two ladders set up, and AJ and Angle, I believe, uh, were, or Joe, uh, and then AJ flies in, does a springboard onto, and basically quickly captures it and kind of runs away, or, you know, that's how it was kind of sold, and, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, to finish up the match, because there was a point I wanted to make, uh, I thought this delivered, 
um, tremendously. I uh, was very excited. I uh, wish the one spot would have worked out. But, yeah, Daniels, I thought, was uh, took a ton of punishment in this match. It's funny because people talk about I mean, maybe now that he doesn't care as much. He does Like, when people in pro wrestling, maybe they stop caring. Like, they don't uh, – it's just a lot easier. I don't know. Maybe that's why he's so awesome now. But uh, he put in – like, just took a ton of spots in this he, match. That was he took so – he yeah. took – I mean, like – What was that even the, was between Angle and Joe? Uh, where that it was, that just, was like, that was the sequence that I actually wanted to mention. I thought that sequence was just absolutely... It was just like seven, eight straight back I, bumps. Uh, yeah, like, it was like, uh, they, uh, Joe did a German su- uh, suplex, and the angle's like, oh, I can one-up that. Then they did uh, T-bone suplexes, or vice versa, I mean, in the sequence. And then Joe had a backdrop driver, which was probably the first time I've seen him do that, and I couldn't even tell you how long. Then angle busted out, and angle slammed, and they decided to wedge Daniels in the ladder, so he's like laying uh, from one side of the ladder to the other, and Joe just kicks him straight in the gut, and Daniels is dead for the rest of the match, and this is after even um, earlier in the match, taking a buckle bomb into the turnbuckle, taking a, I believe he actually took a belly-to-belly from Joe as well into another turnbuckle, he just got absolutely demolished in this match, and it just goes to show just how good of a worker he is. I even think back to uh, the last time they did AJ Joe Daniels on pay-per-view, and I thought that he was the absolute MVP of that match back in uh, 2009. I mean, he was just absolutely on fire. And really the only thing I could even say about this match, is, I mean, because I absolutely loved it, I just wanted to see even more from these four because it's like... This is just such a unique group of four, and arguably, but yeah, besides maybe even Aries and Rude, I would say go as far as to say that these are probably four, the four best guys in the company, and probably the most four, four of the most valuable players in the comp that the company has ever had. I mean, and I just, I, I would even love to see a rematch of these four with maybe even no gimmick added on to it. I mean, which. Uh, can then even be probably even even a longer match because of the fact that they don't have the gimmick to necessarily speed up the pace of it. Right, and you kind of touched on it. I just, with the, you know, I think one of the slight criticisms, if there was any criticism about this match, was that it just kind of went too short. Now, I'm not sure if in terms of time or doing more, if there's, like, a correlation there. I mean, certainly there is, but I just, like, hardcore matches, I don't understand when people complain about hardcore matches not getting enough time, because usually they're completely different matches. When S- Now, obviously, there's things that correspond. It's still a pro wrestling match. You're still trying to build heat, and you're trying to peak, but... Three minutes into this match, you have the ST Joe on the ladder to Daniels. This isn't intended to be like a methodical, heat-driven, in the same sense, lengthy type of match. And the one, you know, it was a complaint that I heard about, probably one of my favorite matches that this happened in like the last two years, which was in Atlanta last year, WrestleMania weekend for ROH and Annex and Briscoes. And they had just a complete brawl, and they were putting punishment and damage on each other, you know, the entire match. And it's like, logically speaking, it should go shorter. So when people like don't give it enough credit or say that it needed more time to get to the next level. It's like, it's still, like, it accomplished exactly what it was supposed to. I don't know if that bothers you as much, but it really just bothers me. Uh, I can see that. I mean, like, I mean, it's sort of hard for me to even just relate to, I guess, I suppose, people just complaining about the fact that his match doesn't get enough time. I mean, with me, it was just simply the fact that it was so good that I wanted to see more. Right. That That was my whole thing. I mean, like, I mean, when you anytime you put these uh, any any combination of these guys in the ring together, I mean, you're just gonna get at minimum a good match. I just and feel like the finish could be considered a little abrupt, but 
it, it reminded me, I, I mean, I know I keep going back to like other matches that these guys have had in the past. It actually reminded me of my favorite Ultimate X match, uh, which was uh, AJ Styles, Chris Saban, and Petey Williams from January 05, where actually the finish to that one was actually uh, Saban and Petey were going for the title, and AJ springboarded across and grabbed the belt from there. And this, it was completely reminiscent of that to me, and I actually thought that. The way he springboarded off of that, I mean, yeah. obviously that spot has been done before by guys like Shelton Benjamin. Uh, I've seen uh, Tyson Kidd did it at uh, Money in the Bank, even uh, not even a month ago. And I mean, like he just hit it absolutely flawlessly. He didn't even step on Daniel's head; it was wedged in between one of the ladders. Yep. <laughs> which I thought was completely yeah, was incredible. Another notable spot we should have brought up. Uh, oh, 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 the well, just I did he was bring in, it up. You know, in the middle of the ladder. Oh yeah, well, I I, I did mention did it. it. I mean, okay. it was. Yeah, it was uh, it was completely unique. I mean, again, like I said, I really can't praise his performance in this match enough. Yeah. We had a Bobby Ro- a Robert Roode interview, uh, which led to the main event, which was for the world title. Uh, a no rematch clause stipulation was put on this uh, last Thursday. Um, just in terms of the match, and we'll talk about several aspects, but uh, there was like a lot of early stalling from Roode, uh, and then. They did, uh, which was kind of playing up the uh, no rematch clause, you know, because, like, he was going to get himself counted out, and then I think he realized, oh, I'm not going to get a rematch. And then Rude controlled a large portion of this match, and then when I thought it was going to kick into second gear is kind of when we started to get the shenanigans. I think we feel kind of differently on this because uh, in terms of shenanigans, you were okay with them. They really kind of bothered me. But uh, they did two well, they did two ref bumps, and then they did a superplex, which led to a double pin. Uh, which, you know, caused... Then uh, Rude started to walk away with the belt, uh, even though, you know, each referee was for one guy. And uh, then Earl Hebner comes out, they restart the match, and then they go to a finish, and they do a roll-up, which I guess, you know, keeps Rude strong, but we'll talk about that. But uh, shenanigans at the end, how did you feel about those? Um, or at least the double pin. Uh, well, I I mean, I, I kind of touched on it a bit in my predictions call, yeah. uh, my write-up, like, I was sort of, I was like very intrigued with this match, honestly, just because I was very interested to see the route they decided to go, because it it was so conflicting, because obviously there are, I'm not one of them, personally, but I know that there are people that really want to see Storm and Rude for the belt at uh, Bound for Glory. Wait, no people that really want to see that? uh, But some people have mentioned it to me, it's sort of surprising, honestly. I mean, I personally am not one of them at all. I mean, just because I feel like it's lost a lot of its momentum. I mean, it still it can be a match that can be done. It can be built up uh, again, come back for well, the Well, I'm sure it'll be a much better match now because it'll be under a different regime. So at least right. quality-wise, I think it would probably top for me every other match they've ever had. Yeah, I would say so. But, I mean, like, it was just so conflicting because right now, I mean, it goes without saying that Aries is, like, the top act in the company. And it's really evident as well to me and the way that the crowd reacts to him because, like, James Storm has come out for a few matches, and I understand they've, like, sort of been teasing the idea of, oh, James Storm could potentially be the leader of Aces and Eighth, but... When he's come out lately, he just has not gotten nearly as strong of a reception as Austin Aries has for the past couple months. I mean, like, uh, I wouldn't say that the crowd for this match was as into him as they were for the Destination X main event. But I think that also it factors into the fact that that match had more emotion going into it because people wanted to see him win. And here it was sort of like, oh, he's already the winner. We just want to see him retain now, which, you know, is a possible uh, possibility. But I wouldn't say that this match was uh, 
as good as that Destination X main event, but I would still say it was a really great main event, and really, uh, to me at least, it bumped heads with the ladder match for best match of the show. And, I mean, they tried to work it really differently. I mean, they worked uh, probably a much slower pace, I would say. I mean, and they didn't really bust out as many big things in the match, and they kept it more to the ground and whatnot, which I know that... Uh, well, I know you also are uh, not a fan of the way that Rude. I mean, like just the fact that you know he's a he's not a, necessarily um, a very I'm trying to think of a way to word this. Well, big move type of guy when it comes to his offense. Like he right. keeps it very slow. And, well, I think but, I'm not sure if there's a direct correlation there because I think you can still be entertaining. You don't have to do big moves. It's just it drags for me and it's very boring. And it, maybe it's not even something they can necessarily point to and say this is the problem. So that's why maybe I stick it on the offense is because his offense just isn't exciting. So when he has these long control segments, it's just very difficult to get through. And I thought this one, like, I that was a discussion we had during Destination X last year, but I thought it was a lot more prevalent in this control segment that felt like it went like 10 minutes at least. And the match went, what, like 25, 27, something like that? Yeah, yeah, so, I mean... I mean, but they at least... That felt like the whole match to me. Like, the stalling and then Rude's heat segment or control segment, I thought that was, like, the entire match. And then they went to the end. Like, they they really, again, like, one of my anticipations coming into this match was, would the crowd be as invested? Now, obviously, you kind of touched on the emotion factor, but I thought they left themselves a lot of room to do a rematch uh, or, you know, to do a lot more in a rematch. Uh, And then they... I don't think, like, in terms of if they had the same match, and I agree that it was very different... uh, with that said, and probably just because I'm going to forget it, so I want to say it now, I'm very disappointed I didn't get my beer bottle shot payoff. <laughs> that was like half the build for the first match. He's won every match with that for eight months, and it didn't play into either of these matches, so that kind of frustrated me a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, it could have been a great near fall. But. Yeah, but I mean, at minimum, like, uh, with the way that they did the double ref count, I mean, double, uh, I thought that it was, like, okay. I mean, they they did something sort of similar in the past. I mean, well, they've done the double pinfall before, and it's typically, like, one of those things that they try to do to, like, sort of generate more of a crowd reception when it's like, oh, the match will be restarted, but it didn't really get to that point. But, I mean, at minimum, I thought that, like, uh, right after that, I mean, when Aries went to do the uh, seeking missile dive to the outside and he got nailed by the title belt by accident, I thought that that was actually a really strong spot. There were, uh, there were a couple really good spots during the match, too. I mean, the IED on the floor in particular was very devastating. And, uh, I mean, they, I mean, like I said, they just worked a much slower pace in comparison to their first one. It just sort of caught me off guard. I mean, but... Um, well, it's not like the first one was necessarily quick or yeah. tempoed. Yeah, it just sort of it just sort of felt like both of them were like busting out a lot more of their uh moveset, I suppose. Yeah. I mean like uh like this one they even like traded I mean well not necessarily traded, but they uh I mean like as an example you had Aries attempt the cross face here and whatnot. They did like a bit of trading here and there. I mean, but it was still, like I say, a really good match, and I was actually pretty, I mean, I'm very interested now just to see where they go, considering they had Aries win, and I feel like 
probably on impact on Thursday. Due to the way the circumstances of the match being restarted and the double pinfall, they'll probably find a way to shoe in a third match for the pay-per-view. And, but and, if, and they still gave us a finish. Because, see, I, had, I knew the result before I saw the match, and if I hadn't, I definitely would have suspected that the pay-per-view was going to go off right there and that double pin was going to be their out for a rematch next month. But I suppose you could still do that, give the people a finish that are watching the show, that attended the show, and then you can do something on television to still set up the third match. Yeah, and I just also have to really say, I mean, even if uh, this match wasn't necessarily as strong as their uh, the first one, they, the two of them really do have a chemistry together, like, from what I can tell. It, it almost seems like, it's sort of funny to me, because obviously Ares is, uh, wrestles more of a high-flying, uh, quick, and impactful type of style, while uh, Rude's a bit more of a, you know, slow and uh, attempts to, like, dominate old-school type of style. But, I mean, like, the two of them look very similar. It's almost like, in a sense, like an older brother, younger brother type of thing that, like, the two of them have, like, in similar looks and whatnot. But, I mean, really, the two of them have, you know, put on two really good matches. I mean, obviously, I mean, the first one is currently, I would say, my TNA match of the year and one of the best matches I've seen this year. And, I mean, and this one was still really good, and I'm just sort of interested to see what they do, because if they decided to not do a third match between Rude and Ares, I mean, due to the fact that, you know, every other contender is in the Bound for Glory series, what could they even possibly do? Ares and Doug Williams? I wouldn't complain. Uh, I don't think anybody would complain. (laughs) I mean, I'm just very, like, interested just to see where it goes. I mean, although, unfortunately, I mean... Well, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I mean, I, I sort of feel like they still may end up going the uh, rude and storm route. I mean, come the September pay per view, but I would actually be really interested to see them actually not go that route, and then we potentially get uh, AJ versus Aries. I mean, because I sort of feel like AJ might have an outside shot of winning the Bound for Glory series following uh, his win tonight, and just because of. Uh, just because of the fact that he's essentially involved in the top angle of the company. Right, and you mentioned the Bound for Glory series. I guess we'll get a the top four will get paired into singles matches at the next pay per view. Is that right? Yeah, that's uh, that, that, the they'll probably face. do. Yeah, yeah, the winners of those two will face each other, and then you'll get a final match uh, later in the show. And who do you like for the top four? Um, well, James Storm and Samoa Joe, I would say, are shoe ins yeah. at this point. Um, I would kind of hope that, I mean, like, I would say AJ probably will make it to the top four. I'd say that's a bit of a safe bet. And beyond that, I mean, it could really be a toss-up to anyone. I mean, I know Rob Van Dam is now in the top four, but I personally can live without that. I know Bully Ray is towards the top four, and he he was actually in the finals of the uh, Battle for Glory series last year with Bobby Roode. So, I mean, maybe... I, I wouldn't complain about uh, Smojo, Ray, AJ, uh, Ray match, or even uh, a James Storm Ray match again. But, I mean, the fourth one is sort of a tough spot, just because the other three, I feel, are sort of shoe-ins. You mentioned Claire Lynch before we talked about the Bound for Glory series. How do you see that playing out? Um, well, one thing that also has been... I, I should have touched on this when we were in the ladder match, but... Uh, it's sort of funny to, because it's like when you look back on TNA and just obviously a lot of the uh, uh, TNA booking, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, TNA booking uh, well, trademarks, I suppose. Sure. I mean, you have a feud like this with AJ and Daniels that have been a, obviously a very long 
feud for a while now. And the two of them have inter- uh, been in matches with each other on three pay-per-views in a row now. And the last, oh, well, the very first one, Simon Firstly, the tag title match, which was, uh, I think, two weeks after Claire Lynch debuted, everyone was predicting, oh, we're potentially going to get Claire Lynch involved in here. Didn't happen. So, uh, people predicted it for the last man standing match last month. Didn't happen. Some people predicted it for this one, and it didn't happen. So, got to give them credit for that, even if the angle's terrible despite, uh, Daniels and Kazarian being consistently amazing during this, uh, during the feud. They've kept, uh, the, the crap for TV. Well, they've so. kept the crap for TV, or are they actually building it up to a point where, you know, you don't get a lot of them on the pay-per-views, you get them on TV, it's gonna build to a culminating point, and before the show, you mentioned your blow-off to this entire ordeal. <laughs> Uh, I just have like I have too much of an old TNA mentality in my head for this sort of thing and I really don't think this would come into play but I I mentioned the idea of uh, Aries and Styles styles in the finals of uh, Bound for for Glory and Phoenix and then out comes Claire Lynch screws over Austin Aries and then AJ and Claire make out of the middle of the ring AJ heel turn because we haven't had enough we haven't had enough heel turns ste- uh, happening at Bound for Glory or stemming from Bound for Glory in the past. So uh, maybe that could be the big return of Vince Russo. <laughs> no, I really hope that that doesn't happen. I'd be uh, completely content, though, with uh, AJ and Aries as a finals, though, just because of the fact that, I mean, matches only happened one other time, and, and it wasn't necessarily very good then, and right now Aries is at the top of his career, and AJ is certainly no slouch right now, so... I, I only can hope that that would happen. And with that said, do you have any closing thoughts on the show, TNA moving forward? Uh, well, hey, I mean, this this show I thought was very good. I uh, I was very satisfied with the show. I mean, there wasn't one bad thing about it. I mean, and everything that was uh, meant to be uh, expected to be great was great, and everything that I was hoping to be good was very good. Or with the exception of the uh, women's match, which I was kind of hoping would be like... Uh, the level that I expected it to be, but in fact was actually pretty okay. So, I mean, I'd say this is a thumbs up for TNA. I mean, if you actually uh, order, I mean, plan on ordering pay-per-views, I would probably even recommend uh, you could order the replay if you want, or just wait for it on DVD, considering this one is actually going to be paired in a two-pack with the, the next month's pay-per-view. And it's, so. just, it's just always important that the most important matches on the show, or at least in terms of quality, uh, are booked uh, to maybe its strengths, and they're like given the most time, and that was the top three matches on the show that I was looking forward to the most. And uh, as long as those deliver, I don't think you can necessarily say that it was like a bad show or that it didn't deliver, because those top three matches, which arguably, maybe not necessarily the most important, although you could argue because of the X Division title match, and then of course the ladder match on paper, uh, having the four big, you know, four of the biggest stars. Um, and uh, as long as it does that and delivers, and that's what they've been doing for four months now. So the yeah. matches I'm looking forward to are delivering. Uh, maybe I wish some of them would get more time in some instances, but uh, other than that, uh, no, no, you know, bullshit finishes. Um, this isn't Ring of Honor. This is TNA, and it's a new and, era. It's a new and, era. I'd also say that I'd say this has a pretty strong chance of being a stronger show than SummerSlam will be a week from now. But we'll see, and hopefully, maybe we'll come on and review that show. Uh, JP Nichols on Twitter at I underscore am underscore Hollywood. Uh, you can follow me at Ben Turpin. Uh, for freedmissionfr.com, follow us on Twitter at freedmissionfr. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. There.